that I get to preach this passage. Wow. What a passage. I, I confess I, I've been thinking about it for two weeks now and couldn't wait to get to it. And I'm so thankful I'm here. And I'm so thankful I get to share it with you. And I can't wait for you to see the glory of the Lord as we unpack this passage. Can't wait. The title of the message is Jesus Alone. Jesus Alone. In last week's events, Jesus showed the disciples that they, that they couldn't, but he could feed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fish. We were all exhorted in our passage last week to trust Jesus when we can't. To trust Him to accomplish what we can't. And to trust Him to obey the commands He gives us. The Lord commanded His disciples to give them something to eat. But they couldn't. This impossible command made possible was made possible only by Jesus turning five loaves and two fish into an all-you-can-eat buffet of fish and loaves. What an amazing Lord we have. The crowd saw the miracles, as John's account reveals in John chapter 6, and they immediately sought to make Jesus king by force. This was not a pure reaction to the miracle. In fact... He was, Jesus was there to be the people's savior first. He was their king, but ultimately he would die first, rise from the dead, ascend to heaven, and then return to be their king and to reign on earth as their king. But till then, he was going to sacrifice and suffer for them. As strange as it is, it was, we saw last week the feeding of the 5,000 wasn't fully grasped by the disciples. In fact, Mark's account says at the end of our account today, the, that is the walking on the water, it says they didn't really grasp, they didn't really understand what he had done by feeding the 5,000. Which is very interesting to me. Again, we see that you can... You can visually see a miracle and yet still not completely get it. It's shocking. We will see in the coming chapters, the disciples believed they had a faith, but their faith was a little faith, a small faith. A faith not fully informed of who Christ was, maybe. A seed of a faith. Today we continue this theme of Jesus revealing His glory to His own to grow their faith, help them to know Him more. I think it's important for us to understand what growing faith is. Faith that is growing, what is that? Well, growing faith isn't about becoming stronger. Growing faith isn't about becoming more holy or righteous Growing faith is all about becoming more and more aware of our own inabilities and more and more aware of God's authority over us and His power. 
I want to say that again. I want you to listen closely. It's so important. Growing faith, maturing faith, is not a, it, 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 it's, it's, it's not about personal strength and abilities. It's about becoming more and more aware of our inabilities. Our, we are unable. I can't. The more we understand I can't, and the more we understand that Christ and that God is the authority, and He is the sovereign, and He is the all-powerful one, we aren't, but He is, that's maturing faith. Have you ever wondered why, at the end of our lives, we're often the weakest and most vulnerable physically? You know, God could have set it up that we all didn't suffer and grow older and we just died. He could have set it up that way. He could have set it up that we got stronger and stronger and stronger and stronger in the human body and then time of death happens. Why did he, in his providence, have us grow old and get weaker? And it's strange how we actually go back to a stage to a degree of where we were when we first came into the world. Why does he do this? Ultimately, for his children, I believe it's so that we will look up more and more and more and more, even to the end. We recognize, I can't do anything. Here I am. I need you. This is maturing faith, though. That's why you can see people, as they grow older and love Christ, you can see their faith continue to grow even though they become weaker. They realize that Christ is all they have and all they can do. Those are the people I kind of want to hang out with. How about you? I want to hang around those people. I want to learn from them. I want to Observe how God is working in them. Remember, beloved, salvation itself is impossible for us to accomplish. We can't deliver ourselves. We can't save ourselves. We could not achieve righteousness. We could not atone for sin. We could not change our hearts. We could not deliver ourselves from the power and penalty of sin. Delivering ourselves is like trying to feed 5,000 people with two Fish and five loaves. It's impossible. We can't. But Jesus can. This great truth is repeated in our passage today. We all must look to Jesus alone. More and more, in everything we do, we must seek Christ more. We must depend upon Him more to accomplish everything we do. Again, today we see Jesus alone is worthy of faith. I had a young believer this week that I was talking to in one of, in one of my classes, after one of my classes. They asked me the question. She, she said, how do I deal with my constant doubts? How do I deal with my constant doubts? I could, I could, I could understand. I could see her, her pain. How many of you have been there before? How do I deal with this constant doubt that's in my heart? 
She said she was constantly struggling with doubts and worry and anxiety. She wanted a way to fix her weak faith, is what she was ultimately saying. She was coming to me and saying, hey, help me, my faith is weak. I believe this is a common concern for many of us. I believe the answer is found in our passage today. It's there. Put simple, the answer to little faith in Jesus is more revelation of who Jesus is. That's the answer. More understanding, more revelation of who Jesus is. The more we know Him, the more we will trust Him. We need Him to strengthen our faith, revealing who He is to us. The good news for all of us is our passage today is exactly what we need for our faith to be strengthened. This passage should strengthen everybody's faith in the room. We all need more revelation of Him, and this passage gives it. We examine the exclusivity of Jesus Christ overall in our passage. We see in our passage four features of our Lord, four features of our Lord revealed in this passage that set Him apart from everyone and produce faith in His followers. So this is what we're looking at today. We're looking at the exclusivity of Jesus We see the features of Him that show that He's set apart from everyone. He's greater than all. And it produces a commitment to Him. So let's start. Look at our first feature. First, Jesus alone with the Father. Jesus alone with the Father. Look at verse 22. Matthew 14, 22. Immediately He made the disciples get into the boat and go ahead of Him. To the other side. While he sent the crowds away. After he had sent the crowds away, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when it was evening, he was there alone. This feature of Jesus could be an underappreciated or underappreciated feature if we aren't careful in light of the rest of the passage. We could just skip over these couple verses, but I think it's important that we stop and look at it for a second at least. Notice Jesus' intimate relationship with the Father is something to appreciate. Jesus sent His disciples ahead of Him and away from the crowd immediately after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000 was done. Again, we know that in John chapter 6, the crowd sought to put him as king. It appears that Jesus says, I don't want my disciples to hang out with these guys, because if he hangs out with them, what's going to happen? They're going to think wrong about how they should manipulate me into being a king. So I don't want them to be there. I want them to go ahead. So, But I want some time alone with the Father. So what do I do? Well, here's what he did. He sent them ahead in the boat. Now, you know what's really cool as we go along? You'll see this. I'm convinced that he also created a wind. What? Yep. He made the wind. He made the wind go against their boat. He put them on a treadmill. You're saying, what? How do you get that? We'll see in a little bit. 
hang in there. It's about the distance that he was going to travel and how long it would take and how long he wanted to pray with the Father. He wanted some time alone with the Father. It could only be at night and I sure don't want you hanging out with the crowd that it's got it all backwards. So he puts him on a boat and he puts a headwind against him from the west. Go row, guys. Go row. Very interesting. You'll see it as we go along. And he went up on the mountain by himself to pray in the evening. This can't be missed. If the Son of God sought private, personal prayer time with the Father, then don't you think we should too? At the same time, it also shows this beautiful relationship between the Father that took precedent over people. The Son wanted time alone with the Father. The Son sought the Father constantly. Relationship between the members of the Trinity has always been perfect and always will be perfect. Perfect union between the three members of the Trinity. And one of the members of the Trinity was incarnate and he was spending time talking to the Father. They enjoyed one another. Let me ask you a question. Did Jesus pray without ceasing? It's a trick question. It depends on how you define pray without ceasing. If it's about this heart attitude where he's continually submitting and enjoying the Father, then I would answer, absolutely. If you say pray without ceasing means that he was walking around praying like this. No, that's not what that passage meant. It means either. He had a heart attitude where he was constantly seeking the Father. He was talking to him. But there were times where he needed to be alone and away from the people, and he would seek and abide and enjoy and delight in the Father and the Spirit. If he needs it, When he was incarnate, we need it. We need to spend time with the Father too, don't we? We who are now his adopted children. It appears that Jesus prayed for some time. He sent them away in the evening is what it says and doesn't go for his walk on the water until the fourth watch of the night, which in Roman reckoning, guess when this was? This was between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., the fourth watch. So what did he do? He went up there on the evening. He sent everybody away before it was night. And what did he do? He prayed till 3 to 6 o'clock in the morning. And then he went for a walk on the water. Wow! This means he could have prayed for 6 to 10 hours. Up on the mountain, alone with the Father. Then he decides, hey, I need to walk out on the water. I've got to get to the other side. Jesus' commitment to his intimate fellowship with the Father is a feature that sets him apart, doesn't it? Sets him apart from all the rest of the world. Notice second, the feature of Jesus' exclusivity. We see Jesus alone over creation. Jesus alone over creation. Look at verse 24. But the boat 
was already a long distance from the land, battered by the waves, for the wind was contrary. It went against them, most likely coming out of the west. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came walk, came to them, came to them, walking on the sea. When the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take courage, it is I, do not be afraid. Well, this one is a no-brainer, isn't it? Jesus definitely sets himself apart from everyone with this activity, doesn't he? He's definitely exclusive here. The disciples had gone 25 to 30 stadia. If you look over at one of the other accounts, that's roughly 3 to 4 miles or 50 to 60 football fields away from the shore. The greatest distance on the Sea of Galilee, the greatest distance from one side to the other side would be approximately eight miles. So he was traveling, most likely, from this around this part, I hate how my hand shakes, up to Capernaum, up around there. So only kind of slicing off the top half of the lake. They were walking from Bethsaida area, south of Bethsaida area, up to Capernaum, okay? So if you look at the map, it would be whoop, like that, okay? And it would be approximately, I mean, if you look at it as the crow flies without any wind, you're looking at roughly about, what, five, six miles, five, six miles, okay? It's not the furthest part. The furthest part, right across the middle there, right across from here to here would be eight miles. Okay, so he was going through a, a area about five to six miles. And they had gone about how far? Three to four miles, which means they were about, what? A little bit over half, but in the middle of the water, in the middle of the sea, right? Not the very middle of the sea. But if he had prayed for six to eight hours... He could have gotten what? They could have gotten from one side to the other without what? Any problem. And then he wouldn't have walked on the sea. He would have what? Walked around. He could have walked around and met him there in Capernaum area. So what was it that kept him from getting there fast? The contrary wind. It says it in the passage. The passage says there was a contrary wind. Right? The area they were traveling wasn't that far. They were headed to Capernaum. The wind was obviously coming against them from the west. So it was difficult to get across the lake to where they were going. The wind had probably made it possible for Jesus to catch them walking on the water. Perfect setup, right? What's he trying to do? Like I said, I think he's trying to show his glory. He's trying to build their faith. And he puts them on a treadmill in a boat going to the other side. I believe Jesus was once again setting up a time of growth. This is how God works often. 
we get on that treadmill, and we don't understand why we're on that treadmill, but God is trying to get us to look up and trust Him. So between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m., Jesus comes walking on the water. He drew near to their boat. However, He walked as if He intended to pass the boat by, as Mark's account says. It's almost like, I can. I, I hope I get this right, but I can't wait to see this on the heavenly VCR. Oh, it wouldn't be the VCR. It would probably be the DVD player or whatever. It wouldn't be the DVD player anymore either. It would probably be on YouTube or something. <laughs> Heavenly YouTube. Needless to say, the boat's out here. Jesus walks near them, but he acts like he's walking by them. Intending to pass them by is what it says. From one of the accounts. They're there. They see him from a distance to a degree. It's dark. It's three to six. Only moonlight and starlight. Right? This is it. They can't really completely make out who he is. And what do they do? They scream, It's a ghost! It's a ghost. Hmm. Why? Well, obviously they didn't recognize that it was Jesus initially, right? But then comes these words from Jesus. Profound words. (laughs) Almost shocking words. Words that should just like, you, you should go, wow. He says, take courage. Take courage. I am. Do not be afraid. You say, it doesn't say that in my Bible. It says, it is I. It says, it is I, doesn't it? Well, I think, and I'm, 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 I'm convinced that the translators are trying hard to make a translation here, but I'm convinced, and many of the commentaries agree with me here, that they're afraid to say what it just looks so clearly to be. He's emphatically saying, ego me. I am. Now, what is that? Why would he say that? Why would that be so important? Oh, it's extremely important. This is pointing to his deity. It's pointing to who he is. Where have you heard this before? Tell the people, I am sent you. I am sent you? Who is I am? Remember, he told Moses at the burning bush, I am who I am. This is emphatic. Ego of me. I am. Take courage. Do not be afraid. Ego of me. Shocking truth. He is saying, I am God. I am the self-existent one. Take courage. I am. Do not be afraid. The I am titles are all through the Bible, especially in the New Testament. I think it's in His name, His Old Testament name, Yahweh. I am who I am. 
Jesus says, and it's recorded in John's Gospel several times, I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am, ego a me, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the bread of life. Y'all know John chapter 8, verse 58? Y'all remember? In John chapter 8, verse 58, Jesus told the Jews that were questioning Him, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Ego me. The Jews sought to kill Him when He said this. Why? Because He was claiming deity. He was saying, I'm God's Son. I am God in the flesh. And they sought to kill Him. So when Jesus walks up near to them, it's a ghost. No, I am is here. Take courage. Do not be afraid. I am. His self-revelation here is both in what He says and what He does. He says, I am God in the flesh. And I'm showing you that I'm God in the flesh because I'm walking on water. Jesus says, in effect, I'm not a ghost. I am the great I am. And I'm revealing to you who I am by walking on water. Do not be afraid. Take courage. In effect, believe in me. The one who just fed 5,000 with five loaves and two fish that you didn't quite comprehend. But now I'm walking on the water next to you, claiming my deity and walking on water. Notice his actions back up his identification and, and the command. Now let's talk for a second about walking on water. I just have marveled at this thought. I have thought about this, and it's just shocking to me. I I mean, I have to admit, there have been numerous times we've done it in pool games with the kids. Let's see who can walk on water the farthest. And the kids will start on one side, and they will run as fast as they can to walk on water. It's really running on water. And they immediately do what? Sink. The only thing that can help them get far on the water is faster speed. And ultimately, it's like that, right? It's not walking, by the way. It wouldn't be like this. They're running as fast as they can to see how far they can get. But if we walk, what are we going to do? We're going straight down immediately. No questions asked. Everybody understands that, correct? If you don't believe me, try it next time you're at the beach. See if you can get your your feet just to stay on even the top of the water a little bit. It's not going to happen. Now, I I find it interesting. The laws of nature say that humans can't walk on water, correct? 
the materials, the properties. I actually took a class in, in, at University of Florida on uh, the materials, the properties of materials. And I can honestly say there's no scientist in the world that would say that walking on water is possible. None. You can't do it. But this is why, by the way, the liberal commentators, when you pull out some of those liberal commentaries, you say, why in the world do I even read those? Well, because sometimes it gives some grammar truths in here that help me to understand the grammar a little better, but i got to spit out a lot of bones. Matter of fact, most of it's bones. But the liberal commentators, you know what they do. They justify this away. He was just kind of walking on the side of the edge of the... He was walking, you know, he's just walking on the side of the water over here. You know, we're going around the edge. You know, going around the edge of the, you know, on the edge of the water over there. What are they doing? It says he came to them on the sea. He walked on water. It says it numerous times in the passage. You have to basically say, I don't believe the Bible. If you're going to say that he didn't walk on water. That's foolishness, isn't it? But that's what hearts do when it's lost. It rejects the truth. It's clear Jesus was walking on the water out on the Sea of Galilee. Now, how did he do it? How did he do it? Well, the simple answer is the creator of the laws of science and the properties of materials is sovereign over the laws and materials he made. What does that mean? This really isn't complicated. The creator can walk on top of his creation. Really? Yes. Because he is the great I am. Jesus is not bound to normal laws of nature. If he decides he doesn't want to be bound to the law of nature. He can do what he wants. He is sovereign over all of it. This sets Jesus apart from every human, doesn't it? Every human ever. No human has walked on water by their own power ever. Ever. So let's make this very clear to all. Jesus is sovereign over his creation. There is no material that he has made that is, he is unable to subdue. Put simple, Jesus could totally eliminate the entire universe with one word. If he wants the sun to go dark, guess what? He could blow it out faster than blowing out a candle on a birthday cake. Jesus could say, sun, stop shining. And guess what it would do? It stopped shining. He could make the whole universe disappear like that. And no, it's not some fake thing like Thanos that can snap his fingers. He created it all. He made it all. He sustains it all. Everything is held together by the word of his power. He's sovereign over it all. So it's shocking, or so is it shocking that Jesus comes walking to them on the water? 
Well, no, if we know who he is. I mean, if we really thought through this, the disciples should have said, Oh, it's the guy that feeds 5,000. Here he comes. Come on. Come on in. You want to get in the boat? You want us to come to you? What would you like? They should have known that the only one that could do it is who? Jesus. Nobody else could do that. So when Jesus says, take courage, do not be afraid, his command becomes easy to obey when they realize who was saying it. Oh, I'm not afraid anymore. Oh yeah, you're the I am, the great I am who made it all and is now showing your sovereign over it all. Beloved, I think we don't comprehend just how sovereign our Lord is over all that we experience. Nothing is out of His control. He holds the whole earth, the entire universe in His sovereign hand. The world just doesn't get this. But we who are followers of Jesus need to understand it and we need to trust Him. So, are you all enjoying? I'm enjoying. This is amazing. You haven't even seen anything. Wait, it's amazing. Watch. This is cool. Ready? Got two features down. Let's go to the third. Jesus alone for deliverance. Jesus alone for deliverance. Matthew 14, 28, 31. I, I, I got to admit, I love Peter here. <laughs> I love Peter. Man, I can, I can see myself in Peter. Peter said to him, Lord, if it is you, why did you say if though? If it is you. Since it's you, you could probably translate. Since it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Command me to come to you on the water. Well, you love the phrase Lord, right? Lord, that's implying what? You're sovereign. You're in control. Since it's you, if since it's you, command me to come to you on the water. Hey, you tell me to come, I can do it. I can do it. And Peter got out of the boat and walked on water. Wow. Wow. Peter got out of the boat and walked on water and came toward Jesus. But seeing the wind, he became frightened and beginning to sink. He cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand and took hold of him and said to him, You of little faith, why do you, why did you doubt? Hmm. This section has intrigued me for years. It's, in, it's intrigued me, especially the last couple of weeks. I've been chewing on this. So, question looking at the passage, did Peter walk on water? Yeah, he did. It's important to note, did you know that none of the other gospel accounts mention that Peter walked on water? Only Matthew's. Think about this for a second. Most say that Peter was instrumental in the writing of Mark's gospel. Okay? If you, let me ask you a question. If you were instrumental in writing Mark's gospel and you were there helping John Mark write the gospel, don't you think you'd throw that fact in? Hey, I walked on water. Put 
down there. You know, Peter got out of the boat. But no, it's not there. Also, John, John's account. Yeah, John and Peter were pretty close. I admit there was some competition going on there. But John was pretty humble, wasn't he? And often exalted others when he put himself down. But he didn't mention it. But the tax collector, Matthew, decides to put this little phrase in. It's a little bit. Why? Well, I first, I, I think mainly it helps to develop Matthew's main theme. It's developing the main theme here. This is why Matthew puts these in the chords. They're writing with purpose. They're trying to get across a main purpose and a main theme. But also, I, I believe none of the other gospel accounts wanted any attention to be taken away from Jesus in the scene. It was really all about Jesus walking on water. So, But why did Matthew put it in? I believe that the way the events are recorded and how it's recorded by Matthew actually highlights Jesus' glory alone also. Not Peter's. So here's the question I asked. Let me ask it to you. Can you walk on water? Okay, this is one that I want everybody to answer. Can you walk on water? Okay. Can Peter walk on water? Trick question. No, Peter can't walk on water either. Peter can't walk on water either. None of us can walk on water, can we? I was reading this and thinking about our trip to Israel. <laughs> it's coming up in November. Sorry, y'all are going to miss us for one Sunday. All but Mr. Bob. Bob's going to preach for us. Praise the Lord, right? Isn't that great? Where are you at, Bob? Oh, there you are. Okay. Praise the Lord. But I'm going to be on the Sea of Galilee. Isn't that cool? Be on the Sea of Galilee. And I was thinking about this. I was thinking, man, what would it be like if I just threw one leg over the boat side? I just thought, you know what? I could, I could try it. I could try it. Then I thought, what is the difference between me jumping out of the boat and Peter getting out of the boat? What's the difference? Well, there are two main differences revealed in the passage. First, Jesus commanded Peter to get out of the boat and come to him. That's crucial. (laughs) That's very important. Because Jesus tells him to do it. If I got out of the boat, and I said that Jesus was telling me to walk on water, like some of the people that talk like Jesus talks to them, I would be doing what? Blaspheming God. Because I would be attributing to him special revelation. And you know what he would make me do? Sink! Immediately, I'd go to the bottom. 
strength of materials class, I promise. Well, maybe it had some clothes on. I'd be trying to swim at least. Jesus wasn't going to give me a special revelation and command me to come to him. Second, Jesus commanded Peter to walk on water and then Jesus made Peter walk on water. Jesus kept Peter on top of the water. It doesn't say that, does it? Does it say that? Yeah, it does. How does it say that? It doesn't say that. It does say that. Who is Lord over the creation? Christ is. Alone. Nobody else can walk on water. The only reason why Jesus or Peter was walking on water for the longest as he did was because Jesus was keeping him on top of the water. Jesus gave him an impossible command. And then he made it possible for him to do it. To walk on water. You say, oh Mike, this is so just simple. Why are you telling me this? Oh, I think it's very profound. If I got out of the boat, I'd sink until I could swim. Hopefully I could swim. Jesus would definitely let me sink. He would let his creation do exactly what its properties are doing. So why wouldn't Jesus keep me up? Ultimately, because Jesus kept Peter up to show off Jesus' glory, not Peter's and not mine. This is crucial, crucial, crucial. Ultimately, because Jesus is showing off himself by Peter walking on the water. There would be no way, if I did it, for Jesus to be guaranteed to get all the glory. Which got me thinking, as I read the commentaries, it only made me think more. The point of Peter walking on the water wasn't primarily about the power of Peter's faith and then the lack of it. I want you to hear me. This is something that is missed in this passage more than anything else. The primary point of the passage is not about Peter's faith. It's not. You say, what? The primary point of the passage is that Jesus is Lord over all creation. Look, Peter walks on water because Jesus kept him up. So, the natural question. Why did Peter sink? Okay, at this point, everybody says, because he doubted. Because he doubted, right? Because he doubted. (laughs) It's a trick question. It's a trick question. (laughs) If we say it's because he doubted, we might miss the very important nuance of this event. 
I've heard numerous sermons on this. This passage has been preached, and many of them make Peter's success and his failure completely contingent upon Peter. How many times have you heard a sermon, just get out of the boat? You just need to get out of the boat. Exactly. Get out of the boat. You just got to have faith to get out of the boat. (laughs) If you believe, you can leap tall buildings in a single bound. You can do incredible things with, with a strong enough faith. But make sure you keep your eyes on Jesus, otherwise you'll sink. You've heard it? I've heard it. I've actually seen a guy throw a rubber boat up on the stage, and I was at the sermon. Got in the boat, got out of the boat. To illustrate his point, it's about your faith. It's about your faith. It's about your faith. Guess what? It's not about your faith. It's not about your faith. It's not about your faith. What? But look, it says it. But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. It says it. It says it. So was it the fear that made him Sink? Is that what that passage says? But seeing the wind, he became frightened, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. You read it, and it looks like, doesn't it look like? So the more I thought on this, the more I thought about this. Wait, 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 wait. Can Peter walk on water? No, he can't walk on water. What happens when you sink? What happens when you sink? I don't know about you. But if you started to sink, how fast are you going to sink? I mean, if if you started to sink, it would be like immediate, wouldn't it? You'd drop to the bottom. So is that what happened? <laughs> I mean, that would be what it would do, right? It doesn't appear that that's what it's saying as we go through this. Becoming affrighted, he sees the wind, his attention's off the Lord, and he begins to sink. Why did he sink? Why wasn't it immediate, and how in the world did he get, Lord, save me out? How did he, how could he say, I'm going down, Lord, save me? It would have been what? Immediate. This is the way it reads, and and, and, unless I'm completely off my rocker, doesn't it read this way? So why did Peter sink? Answer, because Jesus allowed him to slowly sink. 
Jesus allowed him to sink. Hmm? Listen. Jesus made Peter walk on water and Jesus made Peter sink. Why did he allow Peter to sink? Was Peter's faith little before he got out of the boat? Yes. But it was more than mine. (laughs) And probably more than most of us in the room. But that little faith was already there. Why was Jesus allowing him to sink? Answer, the same reason why he commanded the disciples to feed the 5,000. You give them food to eat. Why? Because Jesus knew that he was looking away. Jesus knew that he was doubting him. Jesus was watching that. And Jesus was saying, Hey, you need me. I'm the only one that can deliver you. Peter was then able to realize he couldn't, but Jesus could. It's interesting to me that he appears to have gotten a long ways to Jesus, so close that he was able to reach up and Jesus was able to reach down and pick him up out of the water. Now, how does all that happen in a boom-boom situation other than Jesus is allowing all of this to happen in order to show him what? You need me! You need me! Jesus alone is sovereign over deliverance. Lord, save me is saying what? I can't, you can. Help me. I need you. I could preach on this for another five hours. This is amazing truth. Oh, beloved, I think all too often we put too much faith in our faith. We trust in ourselves instead of the object of our faith. Jesus was keeping Peter because Jesus was the object. He was the Lord. Who do you believe in to save you? Listen, and we'll stop here. And I'll pick back up next time I'm in the passage. Can you save yourself? Beloved, you're in a lot worse situation apart from God than Peter beginning to sink in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. We are born, what? Dead in sin. We're at the bottom of the Sea of Galilee, already corpses. We need Jesus to deliver us. By the way, you need him every single minute of the day for the rest of your life. Because living in this world is harder than walking on water. You say, what? 
living as holy, set-apart, righteous children of God, honoring God with all that we do, is impossible apart from Jesus Christ. Don't have faith in your faith. Have faith in Jesus who saves. That's why we celebrate the Lord's Supper, right? We celebrate the Lord's Supper because He did what we couldn't do. We remember Him, not us. We exalt Him, not us. Let's pray. Prepare your hearts for the Lord's Supper. Father, thank You for this time. Thank You for Your Word. Thank You for watching over us and keeping us and providing Your Son who is the Savior of the world. Father, we pray that You will help us now as we take the Lord's Supper, that You will keep our eyes and our minds and our hearts and our thoughts on You. Lord, we know we can't blame You for our lack of faith and we can't blame You when we doubt. All we can do is cry out, we believe, help our unbelief. Help us, Lord, when we doubt. Show us your glory that we may know you and trust you. Help us, God, now that as we take the Lord's Supper, that we remember Christ and what he did for us. May he be the only one that is worshipped here today. May no one take this Lord's Supper in any way thinking that by doing this, they're somehow gaining your approval. No, God, please help no one in here do this for religious, self-righteous reasons. Help them to do it with pure faith. Give them faith, Lord. And help them, Lord. Help me, Lord, to worship you And remember Christ Jesus our Lord. We pray this in His name. Amen. Men, we.